Oh! I'm two. so excited about the internet conversation. Oh my god, okay. But you have to do it in, in two minutes. Two minutes, uh, alright. Two two minutes on internet. <laughs> um, so, we bought property out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, we happened to be in an internet dead zone. Um, where less than a half a mile on one side, there is cable. And less than a half a mile on the other side, there is cable. But there is this region of about 80 homes where there is no cable whatsoever. And so cable is really easy to get around because you can just do satellite, um, direct TV or something like that. That's not a big deal. Uh, we looked at DSL. There's no DSL either. Um, we live near this town called Whitmore Lake. AT&T will not put in the whatever hardware to do DSL because they think that the customer base is not big enough and it costs like $50,000 or something. So they say no. We've talked to the cable people about running cable out to us. They say, give us $200,000 and we'll do it. <laughs> um, and we said, uh, no. Um, it took us a minute, uh, but we said no. Um and so when we first moved there, we got satellite internet um, from some place. Um, and the problem with satellite internet is that there's a latency between when you type something, it has to go all the way up to the satellite and then all the way back down. And that's around a second. And, you know, when you're just watching stuff on the internet or surfing around, it's not that bad. But I do a lot of like connecting to NASA computers and trying to type with a one second delay is just horrific. Oh, yeah. Uh, we kept that for about two years because that was our contract. Um, also, we had problems because they actually put caps on how much stuff you can download. And so, you know, our computers would just automatically try to update software and everything in the middle of the night. And it would hit hit the cap before we even woke up in the morning, and we wouldn't have internet for the day, which is a little frustrating. Just a little bit. Yeah, and so we got rid of that, and we um, were on a sprint plan for our cell phones, and this was in the, back in the day of 3G. Um, and so we got like a wireless um, connection thing for Sprint. And they didn't have, like, wireless base stations back then, uh, you know, six years ago or whenever this was. Um, you actually had to get, like, a card to plug into your computer, and then you could have your computer make Wi-Fi everywhere. And Sprint really sucked in our area, but it was free, unlimited, not free, it was unlimited data downloading and blah, blah, blah. Um, and so we had that for a while. But the, the service was so sort of spotty and crappy that we had to, like, have it in Isaac's room. We had to have the computer in Isaac's room because there was only one corner of our house where we could actually get cell phone service. <laughs> and so when we wanted to have Internet, we'd have to, like, sneak into Isaac's room while he was asleep or something, boot up the computer, start up the Wi-Fi, and then broadcast it. And it was just really a pain. Yeah. So then something like four years, five years ago, four years ago, we investigated a T1 line. And a T1 line is um, basically business internet. So if you have a company, 
you call them up and say, oh, I want internet for my company, and they give you a T1 line. And so you can't do that basically as a person. Um, you have to do it as a business. And they charge you business rates, yeah. uh, which w- it's very, very, very expensive. Um, I'm not going to say how much because it's embarrassing how expensive it is. Uh, and the connection speeds are not that great because they don't expect you to buy the bottom of the barrel networking. They buy, they expect you to buy like 10 T1 lines and then you actually have pretty good speeds. And the reason that it's like a business service also is because it's like guaranteed up 99.999% of the time or something like that. Mm -hmm. And if they detect that the internet goes down, even if it's 3 o'clock in the morning, they'll call you and they'll say, oh, I detected that your internet is down. We're we're on it. Don't worry. And so we would get calls at like 3 o'clock in the morning. (laughs) I don't care if my internet is down at 3 o'clock in the morning. And we tried to plead with them, like, we don't need the quality of service if you will reduce our price. Yeah. Uh, And the goal of this was supposed to be to share internet with our neighbors and everything. That didn't work out very well at all um, for a variety of reasons. So we kept that for, like, four years. And then this last month, um, we opened up the bill. And it turns out that they raised our rate by a factor of three. Uh, And so it went from absolutely ridiculously expensive to just, like, (laughs) you have to be kidding me, expensive. And so I immediately called them and said, please, please don't do this to us. (laughs) And they're like, well... You know, they bought the company that we started paying internet for, and then they decided that they didn't like serving this community, and they just wanted to get out of that area. So they jacked up everybody's prices in that area, (laughs) and um, they're hoping that everybody leaves. So we canceled our internet. Oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So now we have T-Mobile, and T-Mobile, you can get... Uh, like a wireless base station type of thing. And we have like a six gig plan with unlimited streaming, though, to like Netflix and Hulu and Pandora. And so we can, you know, do a little bit of Internet stuff, uh, enough to check your email and surf the web and and do some connecting to NASA supercomputers <laughs> and stuff. Uh, and then we can also do um, streaming stuff we can't do youtube though uh which sucks wait youtube so is youtube not part of the streaming right i have t-mobile right. and i have no idea yeah so you have um do you pay like the you have a plan like a month-to-month plan well yeah i mean from for my cell phone service right right so right. i know all that streaming stuff is part of it but I, I had no idea if youtube was or wasn't yeah youtube is not ah, um, interesting there i guess the guy at the at the um at the T-Mobile store, which is in the mall. I had to go in the mall. Oh, God. That's the worst. Uh, I, just the worst, was, Aaron. I'm sorry. It's just horrible. <laughs> I went I went to Best Buy thinking, okay, I can just go into Best Buy and do this. Uh, but no, they said, well, the month-to-month plans we can't do. You have to go to the mall. Uh, and I, I almost cried. Yeah, I almost you cried. Ca- I would have called back up the T1 company and said, it doesn't matter. I'll pay whatever. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> no trips to the mall. Uh, no. So I went in the mall. I, I actually talked to the person and they said, uh, YouTube, it's under negotiation. So uh, maybe like in the next few months, um, we'll be able to get YouTube. But, you know. Yeah. So we're, we're trying that out. We'll see what happens with that. And I will I will update you later. Fantastic. Well, I have to yeah. imagine that things have come a long way since 3G and Isaac's bedroom. So that's very true. Yeah. So uh, we actually have 4G uh, service at in our living room oh, with T. Everybody's T-Mobile. dream. 4G everybody's in the living room. Doesn't get any better it, than that. It doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> uh, unless there's 4G in the bedroom. Oh. Boom, chicka, wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Let's not get personal. <laughs> exactly all right okay is that enough for uh internet story that, now? that was fantastic I mean, i'm, I'm it enthralled. Was... i can't wait to hear the next update <laughs> i and i know i know it's gonna be actually so you know okay i'm sorry i'm gonna keep talking about this for just a minute i called them up and i said i said this is really unacceptable that that our rate is is increased so much and they're like well tough luck yeah and so i said okay cancel the service blah 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 so we canceled the service and then i realized that um they started billing us from the first of the month but it's already like the 12th of the month when i called them and so i called them back like the next day and i said um are you billing me like at the old rate or at the new rate and she was like oh at the new rate no. and i'm like oh no 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 <laughs> and she's like well i can't change that and i said so can you give me to somebody who can change it and she was like there is no one at our company that can do that what i'm like are you serious <laughs> that's so stupid and and so i argued with her for a little while and then she finally like went and talked to her manager and was like okay we can manually change it i'm like okay yeah that's what i expected manually <laughs> yeah. change i'm sure it's a it's a number on a computer somewhere it's a exactly exactly so anyways no that was uh that. no one no one can change that number <laughs> somebody changed it two weeks ago <laughs> somebody changed it yes and didn't notify us yes. just randomly like here's a screw you message oh my gosh so uh, oh. one of the things that i've gotten into in the past couple of years is is owning a couple um houses that we rent out so not not a big deal but we own a couple of houses and yeah. um, because we own these houses, we we put them into a, a limited liability company um, just because that's what you do. So technically, um, mm. by the by the the slimmest of definitions, I am a business owner. So yeah. when I have to deal with the rare occasion when I have to deal with some sort of service like this, yeah. I mean not yeah. not internet or anything like that, but you know, maybe like DTE or the bank for some reason. Right. When I call and say that I am the owner of such and such LLC, the the yes. service that I get is just so much better than if I'm just Dave Pulowski <laughs> calling up that particular company. It's yes. it's comical. Uh, and so I guess you can't really do that with, with the internet company because they're looking at your screen and saying that you are just a person and not a, not a company. But I, I, I mean, I guess it's in their best interest because maybe my business pays a lot or maybe they get, you know, recommendations right. or something like that. But it's just ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. No, I completely agree. Um, okay. I, I'm going to tell you a, a story that is somewhat relevant to this, but only somewhat. <laughs> okay. okay. 
So when we, we were living in Texas and Joey was pregnant with our with our first child, she went to uh, like a gynecologist and went there a couple times and um, did all the checkups and everything and decided that she didn't really like it very much um, and decided that she wanted to switch to a different place. The, the doctor that she switched to basically said, okay, just go get your records and bring them to us. So she went to her old doctor and asked them, can I have my records? And they're like, no. And she was like, why? They're my records. And they're like, well, it's our policy not to give out records to people. And, you know, she was something like six months pregnant, seven months pregnant or or something and she sort of had a meltdown right there (laughs) and just started started crying and like just had a very hard time dealing with it and so she called me up and was like okay i i don't know what to do and so i got the number for the doctor or for the yeah for the doctor and i called the doctor and the person the receptionist answered the phone and i'm like there's a woman standing at your desk right now. And they're like, yes, that woman, Joey is switching doctors and she needs her records. You will give her the records right now. And they're like, uh, who is this? And I'm like, Dr. Ridley. (laughs) And they're like, okay. And they hand her the records. (laughs) I am not a real doctor. I am a doctor of philosophy, <laughs> but sometimes the title works. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> I've never, <laughs> never tried that before. Yes, <laughs> yes, I, I've never tried it since, <laughs> but it just worked really well. It is amazing how, and it's just the same as your business, right? I mean, I'm the same person. Yeah. Uh, I have the same authority. Like it's just a title or something. Respect that title, you know. Yeah, yeah I guess it's crazy. Or you just it's you just crazy. completely throw them off, and they, oh yeah, go into a shell. And like, okay, whatever you say, whatever you say. Yeah, yes, that's awesome. Exactly. From now exactly. on, that's, that's how I everywhere. Every time I go to get a chai latte, this is from Doctor Pulowski. Oh, okay. Right away. Uh, that will backfire when you're on an airplane. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Doctor. Please help deliver this baby. Yeah, exactly. Do not ever say that you're a doctor on an airplane. (laughs) So for this episode, I am going to do something slightly different, which is interview Eric Donovan from the University of Alberta about cameras. He and I both love taking pictures, but his job is actually to take pictures of the Aurora using all sky images and things like that. Um, So without further ado, here is a conversation that I had with Eric in my office one day. All right, so uh, cameras. Everybody everybody in the world seems to be using their phones more as a camera. And when you talk about, like when I hear reviews of phones now, they only, they talk about um, battery life and they talk about like camera capability. So everybody uses their phone for a camera. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I think it's an, first of all, I think it's a, an amazing evolution, right? Yes. You know, the, the, there's this kind of this kind of ready access to basically free because you don't have a phone. Yes. So you have basically a free 
pretty good camera, digital camera, um, that is connected, you know, via whatever mechanism you want, right, to the rest of the world, right? Yeah. So you can you can take a picture, you can send it so to anybody you want to, you can post it on Facebook, you can do whatever, and you can archive it all from your camera, all from your phone, right? And and I think about the fact that you know, for years and years and years when I was younger, I would either have a really bad camera, right, like yeah. like you know, like a little Instamatic or whatever, right? Yes. You know? And and or I would have an okay camera, you know, but film was expensive. Yeah. You know, cameras were expensive, and and you know, because film was expensive, I wouldn't carry my camera around with me if I had one. Right. And I went long periods of time where I didn't have a camera, so there isn't a good record of those parts of my life, right? Yeah. And now everybody has a camera, basically all the time, right? Yeah. And so I've noticed that my own personal picture collection of my for my family is filling in. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and so, and so I think these cheap, pretty good cameras are really changing the way society works and the way society interacts with images. Right. You know, um, in in a significant way. Yeah. Yeah. So why would anybody ever buy like a nicer camera then? That's, I mean, I think it's 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 a good question. I mean, I I believe that actually sales of nicer cameras are going up too. I think, I think hmm. first of all, one thing that's happening, I, I think one thing that's happening is that, is, that the, is that the phones are getting people to really like taking images yeah. because they're getting used to it. Right. And then actually a fair number of people in society, they actually want to take as good images as they possibly can. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll come back to that in a second, but, but I think, I think the, 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 the phone revolution with the cameras is actually going to help the higher-end cameras um, do better because mm -hmm. there's going to be more of a market for cameras in general now. Um, and But it's a really interesting question because the first thing I thought of when you asked this was I took a, a trip to Vancouver Island a couple of years ago and I had a pretty good camera, mm -hmm. you know, and, um, and which was probably about a, maybe a $700-ish digital camera that I'd gotten maybe, maybe five or six years ago. Yeah. And I had my iPhone, you know, and and I was taking a ferry from Vancouver over to Vancouver Island, and it was a it was a dark day and it was like cloudy and it was really like really, really great light conditions. And I took a few hundred pictures with my pretty good camera mm -hmm. and a couple of pictures with my iPhone. Mm -hmm. And the pictures that came off my iPhone were dramatically better than the pictures that came off my pretty good camera. Really, and that really you know, and that was that was I thought that was interesting, but. All that really meant was, so the iPhone has actually fairly narrow capabilities. That, you know, sort of, in general, all of these cameras have fairly narrow capabilities. And so, and so the lighting and the conditions were complicated, and they just happened to line up with the capabilities of, of that particular cheap device. And I wasn't a good enough photographer yet to capture the moment with the better camera. Right. And so you can actually even come to the conclusion that, that buying a pretty good camera, you know, a thousand or two thousand dollar camera is not the best investment if you have one of these cheap cameras if you don't know how to use the better camera. But right. the thing that the better camera does that really enables you to do is play around with the way that you capture the image, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you spend some time and learn about what aperture is and learn about what 
what um, you know how, how to play around with the shutter speed and learn how to play around with the depth of field and you know you can create all of these different effects where you can capture fluid motion and you can smooth things out and you can you can you know have something in focus that you want to have in focus with things out of focus that you want to have out of focus yeah. and that's the kind of thing that you cannot do with one of these cheaper cameras and on top of that those are the things that make great photographs so you know if you take a hundred thousand photographs with anything one of them is going to be a great photograph yes, that's yeah. actually true right yeah you know? but that doesn't make you a great photographer right you know right um, if you take and so the, the whole idea is to be able to instead of I think be able to, to kind of go along and have this this camera in my phone which is really a way of, of kind of documenting my life right you know mm -hmm. oh look here's a funny picture here's, here's a situation and I'll take a selfie with my friend here in front of this right um, and so I, I get this kind of running, you know, history of my life unfolding, you know, that I put on Facebook or whatever. But the fact is, and every once in a while, like the pictures I took on that ferry, one of those would be a great photograph. It would just happen to be right. But now I've got my, now I've got my two thousand dollar camera that I that I got more recently, and I've been spending a lot of time with that. And I'm finding that if I really think about it, I can go around in my daily life and actually create more better photographs, right? Mm -hmm. Photographs that would be worth putting in a frame on the wall, photographs that I can put on my Facebook page and my friends go, wow, that's cool. Mm -hmm. And you just can't do that with, with the phone, right? You know, you just can't, right? And so I think that's what the, you know, and, and I think that that what the phones are gonna do is maybe one in 10 people really was using a camera 20 years ago or 30 years ago. One. In, 30 people maybe, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And then some fraction of them would find they love photography yeah. and they would go up the, up, up the curve. Well now everyone right. is, 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 is taking more photographs because everyone has these cameras and it's also basically free to take the pictures because you're not printing film, it's easy, right? Yes. So now everybody is, everybody is not just has a camera but they're also taking more pictures, right? So now I think what's gonna happen is that one in 20 or one in 30 of them are going to love photography, and so you're, and so, and so the, the companies that are that are catering to people who love photography now have a lot broader section of society to, to pitch to, right? Yeah. And so I think I think the the pretty good cameras are not in danger, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And the um, you know the, the the cheap cameras are going to just keep getting cheaper and getting more accessible, right? I mean, right. You know, I probably have a camera in my ring within you know within a few years, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, on, on your watch, on my watch, right? right. You know, and right. so and so that'll be that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that, uh, like, if you took an iPhone or an Android, whatever, yeah. and you put better software on the phone, do you think that then the you could manipulate things to take better pictures? Like, the you could change the depth of field and stuff like that, or is that not really the case? Um, I, don't, I don't know. I, I mean, you know, yeah. because there's a, there's a volume issue. I mean, you know, you know the thing is that the... the you can do things in software, right? Mm -hmm. you, can do, you can do a lot in Photoshop, for instance, right? So obviously you can do it in software. Mm -hmm. But the fact is, you can take something that's out of focus and put it in focus. So you can take something that's in focus and put it out of focus. Yeah, that's it, easy. But it's very difficult to take something that's out of focus and put it in focus with yeah. software, yeah. right? If you watch CSI, you might be fooled. But, you know, <laughs> yes. um, but it actually is not something that, that, you know, because the information is just not available there. Yeah. And so... I think you can probably do half of the of of, of the job in software, but not mm -hmm. the other half, mm -hmm. right? And so, 
Yeah, I, I, I've, I have thought about that a lot. But, but the other thing is, you know, um, even if that's true, you know, it's not, you, you know, I, I don't know how, how you work, because you're a photographer. I'm a photographer, right? You know, I don't know, I don't know how you play around with images, mm-hmm. but I don't use Photoshop, hmm. right? I actually use IDL. Right? Yes, you're and, crazy. Right. Well, no, I'm smart. Right. You know, <laughs> and so, and so, um, I'm Canadian. I'm not crazy. Okay? My, my mother had me tested. Isn't that what uh, Sheldon said on Big Bang Theory? But um, but the but the thing is that you know I think you know like like people have this kind of artistic desire, right? You know, and I think that people like to do a lot of this stuff themselves, mm-hmm. right? And and the, the fact is that that you're always going to be able to do better in the end, I believe, without these kind of package tools, no matter how good the package tools. And what the package tools are going to do is they're going to up the average level of everyone's photographs, and that's going to continuously happen. Hmm. But there's always going to be a fraction of us, and that's going to be not an insignificant fraction, who are going to want to do more. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, you know, Photoshop is the answer for most people. Right, mm-hmm. but I mean, I, I have a, a a guy I know just online. I mean, a guy through Facebook, a photographer on Vancouver Island, who's gone back to uh, film cameras, mm. right? You know, because because there are just things that he finds, and his images are fantastic, and there are things that he finds, you know, you just can't do with a digital camera, right? Yeah. And maybe you know he he acknowledges maybe eventually that will come around, but you know, here's a guy who's making a living as a professional photographer off of old film cameras. Yeah. Right? And so and so, you know, I mean I think I think a larger issue on the creativity end is that, you know, I find that for me, you know, there's a there's a mountain up near Jasper, north of north of where we live in, in, in Canada. It's called Mount Edith Cabell and it was it's been on it's been on postage stamps and bills mm. and stuff like this. It's a very famous mountain in Canada. People used to go and they'd take pictures of Mount Edith Cavell. They would travel to Jasper and they would take a picture of Mount Edith Cavell, you know, and they would set their tripod up and they would get the lighting right or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And and it was a, you know, and I wanted to do that, right? But I've gotten to the point now where, you know, my sense is that all of the great scenes, people are going to be out there. There's going to be, like, if, if I go and take the best picture I can take of Mount Edith Cavell under any circumstances, there's going to be 50 other nearly identical pictures out there like that. Yes, yes. And so photography, for I, I believe, is going to become not what it used to be, which was, which was you're out there and you, you get this great picture of, of you know, of Victoria Falls. You get this great picture of, of you know, somewhere in Big Sur. Like, the, the problem is now, if I just go on Google Maps and I go to Big Sur yes. and then I link into one of the, 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 the photo apps, I can look at all the pictures that were just taken everywhere along that drive, right? right? And then that's just the ones that people took the time to load up, right? Mm-hmm. And this is just going to get more and more and more and more. And so I think photography is going to become about about different things, right? And that's people mm-hmm. are going to have to develop their content differently. And it's going to have to have more emotive, emotional um, con- yes. um, context. And people are going to have to have a theme, you know? And so, so one of the things that I, I do in, in Calgary is... You know, Calgary is actually, but photographically, a very uninteresting place, right? And and um, and uh, you know, I, I know you know him, Michael Hassa. He's mm-hmm. a Facebook friend of mine, and I, w- I was taking pictures of this park, and he said, you know, I really want to come to Calgary, right? You know, he's looking on Facebook, <laughs> and, I, and I thought, well, so I, I actually posted, you know, I said, 
I said, if you come to Calgary because of these photographs, you're going to be so mad at me, right? You know, because this is not what Calgary looks like, right? Right. This is my creativity. I'm going back to the same place every day for like three months and learning how to tease a good image out of this not great backdrop, right? Yeah. And, and I think people who, who are wanting to explore that creative side of photography, they're going to have to have to be more creative going forward because because... I mean, there's just there's just an explosion of availability of, of you know, and even and even now, I mean, like if you think about it, what you can buy for two thousand dollars for a camera now, mm-hmm. and you know, and I mean, I I had a, a Canon seventy um, D uh, a year and a half ago, and I took two hundred thousand pictures in a year. Hmm. Used to be a buck of, used to be a buck a picture, right? To develop. Yes. Right. Yes. I mean, how would somebody as a yeah, hobby take two hundred thousand images right. in a year and look at them? I mean, it's ridiculous if you think back. And, yeah. and so the camera is infinitely better than something you could have bought for $2,000 20 years ago. The ability to put images through it is, is almost infinitely greater. Yes. Um, you can learn so much faster now. Right, right. Yeah. And then so you take a picture. You're looking at a pretty good picture in the back of the camera, right? Like instantly, right? You yeah. know, And then you go home and you load it into your, into your computer. And like it's, it's all there, right? right. You know, and then you can play around with it. And so you can go back you know, the next day, and then try again, right? You couldn't yeah. do that. Um, you know, you couldn't really do that much in your own dark room, and who, who well, amongst you, us had that, right? Right, and you can, I think that a lot of more professional f- photographers actually take, like, a tablet with them. Right. And they just hook it up to their phone so they can look at a large-scale image of it right away and right. say, oh, yeah, this is this is exactly what I wanted. Yeah, and... and and now you have bracketing bracketing settings, right? You yes. Know, so you set it up, and you but then you go a little bit longer, you know, a little bit longer in uh, focal length, and a little bit shorter in focal length, and you take three pictures, and so yes. one of them is probably going to be what you wanted, even if what you thought you wanted right. wasn't exactly what you wanted, right? Yeah. And and so I mean, it, it's 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 a new world, um, you know. I, I think I'm actually very curious about the really high end cameras, hmm. right? You know, so that because there's always, you know, I mean. I'm a hobby photographer, but yes. then I'll show up at events at the university in Calgary, and they'll hire a professional photographer. And that, that I'll be looking at his camera, going, well, "That's a twenty-five thousand dollar camera, right. right?" And that's a, that's a ten thousand dollar lens, right? And I I do wonder about that end of the spectrum, right? Because I do wonder whether or not ten years from now, the two and three thousand dollar cameras won't have such amazing capability yeah. that, that that actually might might it might pinch off that end of of the manufacturing and the development of cameras you know? yeah and, and you know also like for for work i mean my research for my research we take images of the aurora and we use ground-based cameras to do that and we have cameras in the field and they run all the time and they take images and and as i started my career using data from a camera that a guy named leroy cogger operated from calgary and they operated on the west coast of Hudson Bay for, or near the west coast of Hudson Bay for 15 years. Hmm. And it was part of the old Canopus program. And it was one of the very first digital cameras that anyone ever did ran for anything. Huh. Right? And that camera cost a quarter million dollars to make. Jesus. Back in 1980-something. Wow. Right? And those images... They were they were revolutionary, but they're you know I mean I could not put one of those images in a paper now unless it was to address something because it happened in 1988 or 89, right? Right. But and then you know we have the Themis you know we we work with Berkeley and we have the Themis array um, across North America and that's 21 of these such cameras 
But those cameras probably cost around, I don't know, around $10,000 each mm-hmm. between the camera and the optics on the front end, right? Mm-hmm. And that would be, and so that's down from $250,000 for a better quality image. Right? Yes. And Brian Jackal, who's, who's, who's you know, you, you know Brian, who works with, with us in Calgary. Um, and Brian just showed me a $300 camera that he got that can take images that are pretty much as good as the Themisol Sky Imagers. Really? As is. At wow. 30 hertz, at, at 60 hertz, so 60 frames a second instead of one image every three seconds, right? Holy and crap. So, and the thing is that, that and, and then people are saying, yeah, but they're going to break down pretty often. Well, the Themis cameras break down yeah. pretty often. And then we have to fly out because they're so expensive, we can't, you know, we have to fly out and fix them. Mm-hmm. And it might cost three or $4,000 to go to a site to fix it. If I have a $300 camera, I send five up at the beginning of the year yeah. and have the custodian who's in the town who's, who's working with us swap, swap them out. out every few months, right? Yeah. And that's that, right? I mean, it, it's cheaper than one trip, right? right. For an endless supply of these cameras. Yeah. And so, and, and people ask me because that's absolutely core part of my research, right? It's absolutely central to what I do to make a living. And people say, well, the fact is when you started this, you know, it was about getting, being able to write the grants and be able to get the money to have the expensive camera array. And now anybody can have these cameras. Are you nervous about this, right? And the fact is no, because now it's becoming about the ability to deal with the volumes of data yeah. that are coming out of these devices. Yeah. And because we've been working with it for 20 years, because we have 40 all because we've been stitching these things together, because we learned how to do this, what's going to happen is, is our special sauce is going to become more about our ability to, to impose the creative content mm-hmm. on these kind of kind of random large numbers of devices. And so it, it kind of mirrors what's going on out there in the commercial photography sector, I think, you know, and even in the research sector. But, but I mean, you know, anybody who, who's serious about taking images, mm-hmm. and especially if it's part of, of your job, right, I think in almost any field, right, you have to start thinking about the fact that this is not going to be about having the best camera, right? right? Like if you right. want to move things forward on the Aurora, for instance, it's not going to be about, well, so-and-so wrote a proposal and they got $200,000 to buy a camera, so now i got to go out and get $400,000 to buy a camera. It's really taking that kind of, that kind of um, discussion almost out of the equation. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's about fundamentally different things. So mm-hmm. I, mean, I, think, I think it's a really fascinating evolution, yeah, actually. Yeah. And, and it, do you think that there's actually a place for... I mean, so what you do is distributed arrays yes. of, of these things, and you really want a large-scale view while simultaneously getting pretty good resolution at right. small scales. Do you think that there's actually a position, a place for somebody who has like a really narrow field camera or something like that, like a really expensive narrow field camera? Does that still exist? That does that position still exist? I, I, mean, I mean, I think the answer is of course. I mean, one of the things I've learned, you know, if you look at anything, mm-hmm. right? If you look at something seriously, right, that other people haven't looked at a lot, mm-hmm. there's something in it, yeah, right. Like that—that's you know, that's sort of I would say the golden foundational truth of science, right, mm-hmm. of, of nature, right. You know, that, that, that if you if you can look at it, it will be worth looking at. Yeah. Right? Um, so and so with these with these very high resolution, very very narrow field of view cameras, um, there are I think three or four people in the world who've done this over the last twenty or thirty years. 
um, and they've created images. I mean, you know, that are that are really breathtaking, and, and they've informed a lot of scientific discussion. Right now, the, one of the problems, though, is that if you're taking pictures from the ground, well, I mean, I think if you're taking pictures from anywhere with the aurora, there are some fundamental physical limits about the scales that you can get down to. Hmm. So if you're looking from the ground, for instance, you know the electrons that are making, the electrons are coming down the magnetic field lines and they're making these fine scale structures in the aurora. Mm -hmm. And they're lighting up a region that is of finite altitude. So even if you're looking right up the magnetic field line, that magnetic field line is curved, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so if you're looking from the ground up, there's, I think it's about a five meter, I'm not, I, to, I, I, I could be wrong, but I think I'm in the right ballpark here. But I think if you're looking up from, say, 67 degrees geomagnetic latitude and looking straight up the magnetic field line, mm -hmm. magnetic zenith as we would call it, um, and taking images, that the curvature of the field line above you actually broadens out the structure mm -hmm. to about, even if it's infinitesimally thin, broadens it out to about 5 or 10 meters. Mm -hmm. And so you cannot look more narrowly than yeah. that. Yeah. And so, and so there is a, a, a lower limit to what's worth going at for the spatial scales. There is a, a, a lower limit, I think, for what's worth going at for the temporal scales because mm -hmm. of the, 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 the lifetime of certain emissions and so on. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And also, I think there are grand challenges in imaging um, uh, for, for the aurora, like anything. Yeah. And, and I, I would say that the grand challenge now for imaging for the aurora is creating a true multi-scale view and and blending ground-based and space-based observations. Mm -hmm. So one of the problems that we have, for instance, is that is that you know the aurora extends around all magnetic local times, right? Yeah. And so it goes into the day side. Right. And so we have not been very effective in our field at at imaging the aurora on the day side. So suppressing the solar induced luminosity yeah. in the in the atmosphere and keeping that out of the narrow band that you want to look at the aurora in and that's been that's proved to be very very challenging mm -hmm. um, and and in fact a, a larger issue I would say is that is that the aurora is quite dim right yes. so so a lot of the times you know there'll be like bright structures in, in space bright, bright structures in the atmosphere and you can see these with a the naked eye you can take a picture of them with a the camera pretty easily mm -hmm. but a lot of the sky it looks dark on a regular camera or even many scientific cameras and to the naked eye, but it's filled with aurora nonetheless, right? right? So it's just below your detecting detection threshold, but it's yeah. interesting and it conveys yeah. information. Yeah. And you know, because I know you've done work on this in the past, but the open-closed boundary, which probably is, is, is the northern, or the, the poleward boundary of the, of the auroral oval, the auroral oval, the problem is that, that what we do now is we track the open-closed boundary and we track it by successive images, say with, with a, a UV image that someone flew 10 years ago, right? Mm -hmm. But where it goes to, to dark in the images, well, where it's dark, there still might be aurora, and that yes. still might be closed field lines. And so we can't track we that can't. boundary right. in time. Right. And I would say that, that that boundary, the evolution of that boundary in time, that is related to the way the system around the Earth is capturing energy from the solar wind. Yeah. And so the, the, the engine that powers all of the physics that you and I study, we've never actually created a time series of that engine, right? Yeah, and so yeah. being able to capture large-scale images 
that actually we can be confident that we're seeing the dim aurora in. Mm-hmm. And that means that means creating images without many photons. Yes. Right? And that's the hard part, right? That's right. the thing the astronomers face. It's the thing we face. The way the astronomers deal with that, and I, I'm saying this only, like, you know, some of my best friends are astronomers, but the way the astronomers, you know, address this is they have been able to convince the pub- public, I think appropriately, that their field is very interesting. Yes. And that they can capture very, very large amounts of money to build the next generation telescope. So so yeah. if, the, if the last generation telescope cost half a billion dollars, they can get a billion and a half dollars for the next generation telescope and go that right. much deeper or a different way of imaging different parts of the sky and so on, right? We can't do that in our right. field. Well, so one of the one of the issues that is raised by that are like I think the general public thinks of astronomy as being like a what is our place in the universe, right? And are we alone? That type yes. of that type of gigantic question, yes. you know, where auroral physics is very interesting, and I find it very fascinating and everything. Yeah. But there's not like a gigantic question like does God exist type of question associated with the images that we take? I, I mean, I would agree with that. I think the, um, you know, I think, first of all, I, I, I would like to think of our field as part of astronomy. Okay. You know, um, a friend of mine in Calgary calls us astronomy up close. <laughs> That's you know? very true. Um, That's very true. And, and so I think, but, you know, in Canada, like in Canada, we have Western separatists, right? Mm. And so if you're from, you know the province as well, I mean, if you're from Manitoba and you're a Western separatist, you think Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta, and B.C. should separate. Uh-huh. If you're from Saskatchewan and you're a Western separatist, you think Saskatchewan, Alberta, and B.C. should separate. If you're from Alberta, <laughs> you think Alberta and B.C. should separate, right? Right. So I think the astronomers, like, we would like to hitch on to the astronomers' bandwagon, but the astronomers would, would, would not want us, right. you know, and they get to decide what astronomy is, right? Yeah. But I actually think a lot of the physics that we do, when, when you look at the way... When we look at the physics that we're doing as a field now, which really pertains to wave-particle interactions and magnetic reconnection and things that you really can look at directly, and and you know, and looking at the aurora, I mean, you know, one of the things that could be possible, for instance, could we look at the aurora on extrasolar planets hmm. and use that to do interesting spectroscopy that you can't do in more hmm. traditional ways, right? So, so, I mean, I think I think one could link us to. Some very interesting physics, but yes. my my complaint of uh, my complaint and my complaint is actually that every imager that's flown so far in space in our field has been probably each one of those has cost less than five million dollars. Right, right. And so, and I feel that that we have we have hurt ourselves as a field in a sense for not putting a $25 million imager in space. It's not, we don't need a billion dollar imager. We actually need a $25 million imager. And $25 million instruments are actually well within the price range of what people do for major space missions in our field, right? Right. I, I think we could do better and good enough for our needs. And the nice thing is that, you know, one of the things that I also think is, you know, if you look at solar science, right? I mean, if you're, if you're the solar guys, you you go and you take images of the sun, and if you if you're proposing your next mission, you propose better images of the sun, you, right. you know, better and better images of the sun. And what what happens after twenty or thirty years of this? 
or I mean, really longer than that. If people were taking images from the ground, right? Yes. You get these beautiful movies of these solar prominences. You get these beautiful movies of the broiling surface of the sun, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's it's. I don't know why I'm moving my hands around. Like we're talking on, on, <laughs> on a podcast, right? but but um, but uh, you know, in our field. We actually haven't created good images of our system, and our system is very dynamic. And the aurora is very beautiful. Yes. And and I think we've also hurt ourselves in terms of our relationship, our ability to engage the public in our field, right? By simply not saying we have to image this system, right? And and so so I hate to break it to my in situ friends, but you know a magnetometer trace or a a spectrogram from um, from uh, particle measurements that really doesn't doesn't turn public on, right? yeah. you know. And also, when you have these MHD model outputs, right, and these global model outputs, and they're 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 nice, but when you show them on television, right, people go, yeah, but that's not real. It's a cartoon because mm -hmm. it's not real. It's a cartoon, right? Yes. You know? Yeah. And and so I think that by not imaging. The you know the magnetosphere and doing creative, innovative things to image that, and not imaging the aurora the way we could, we've we've actually denied ourselves this powerful tool for engaging the public in what we do. Yeah. Um, and it's one of these things. You know, I mean, I'm from Canada, right? And Canada is a northern country, and one of the ways that we define ourselves as a country is our relationship with the north, right? Mm -hmm. And so, if you look at tourism posters for Canada, you look at stamps, and you look at the way. Canadian culture pokes its, itself out into the world, right? There's aurora in a lot of that. There's aurora in a lot of our art. There's aurora in our in our um, in our poems, right? Yeah. You know? And 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 a lot of um, you know first peoples in Canada. I mean, you know, they, they have a relationship with the aurora that I don't understand, right? You know, but but here's a place where science is looking at something, and then you have a significant and important aspect of our culture that it, that is engaged. In that same thing, and so, and and you can't connect that. You know, you can't go to some you know elementary school in Churchill, Manitoba, and start talking to the kids about you know um, chorus waves right. kicking electrons into right. the loss cone. I mean, they don't care, and they shouldn't care, right. right? But you can go with an image, with a movie taken from space. You know, and say, well, this is this is how what you see every night. This is how this looks. If someone were flying by on a spaceship, kind of thing, right. and then you can get the discussion going that way. Yeah. Right? And 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 you know, and for people who believe in things, spiritual things associated with the aurora. I mean, you know, we even had people say to me, well, this is the view the spirits would have. Hmm. Right. You know, when they're yeah. looking down, this yeah. is what they would. They don't see. There's a rural arc looking up from the tundra, they see this, right? And so it's a way of engaging people in a different way in this discussion. Yeah. And so, I, I mean, so again, I'm not arguing. I mean, I, you know, I've heard people argue for a billion dollar camera for the Aurora. And, and you know, I, I don't, I think that would be a mistake, right? Because I think that would be, a, um, you could do a lot more with that billion dollars. And I don't mean go cure cancer, I mean, you could do a lot more scientifically in our field if you had a billion dollars or something like that mm -hmm. than that. But I do feel that we should look at the at the transformational impact we could have if we were to 
next time around we're flying an imager in space, let's not make it a $3 million imager, let's make it a $30 million imager. Right. I mean, it's going on a $200 million mission. I mean, you know, right. I, I mean, I wouldn't want to offend people and say it's chump change, but, you know, if, if you spend $200 million, you want to get the best you can out of that right. $200 million. Right. And, and so that's, you know, but you know, I mean, you know, I mean, like, like you know, ask Eric what, what he thinks we should spend money on in our field. Eric will say imaging, right? Yes. So it's, yes. Not, it's not... Well, it's that's not, why we're having this yeah, discussion. Yeah. 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 Cool. All right. Well, thank you very much. Um, thank you, Eric.